So I have a question for you kids. Have your parents ever promised you anything? Yes? Have they ever made a promise? Did they keep it? (laughs) Promises are hard to keep. Amen, parents? Especially when you're using the promise just to get past something. Like, uh, kids know these strategies. They know that uh, persistence is the key to their game. They say, please, 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 and it won't stop until you say, okay, right? You say, all right, yes, fine. That's how I do it. I usually try to avert this problem by just saying yes to everything. I throw out a blanket, yes to everything. That's what I say. I don't know what they're going to ask me, but I can't take it no more. Yes, yes, all, everything, yes. But they know now. They know that's not going to be good enough. So they add to that, you promise? Do you promise? Right? Because making a promise adds an extra element of obligation. Do you promise? But the truth is promises are hard to keep. They're hard to keep because generally when we make a promise, it's because we already know we are saying something that is difficult for us. We were talking about promises last week. We're going to pick up our story. This one has to do with kids and what our parents promised to do with you, okay? Please open your Bibles. If you brought a Bible, the book of 1 Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to fill you in very quickly if you weren't here last week. But last week we heard, we read a story about uh, a dad who, uh, well, a man who had two wives. His name was Elkanah and he had two wives. One was named Hannah. She was the pretty one, uh, the one he loved. And then there was Peninnah, the one he had kids with. Um, Yeah, anyway. So, um, So the Bible tells us that Elkanah had two wives and one had kids, one could not, and the one who was barren, who couldn't have kids, was very uh, depressed about her situation, not just because in their culture having kids was significant, but also because the other wife, Penina, would constantly make fun of her. Kids, have you ever been made fun of? Has anyone ever picked on you? Mm-hmm. You probably learned at school that bullying is not the answer, and we have to stand up to bullying and help each other out. Well, in our story, Penina was bullying Hannah. She would tease her year after year and say, look at all the kids I have. My womb is fertile. I've never heard anyone tease anyone like that, but um, my womb is better than your womb. And uh, unfortunately, it was true, and Hannah was distraught over it. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that Hannah would weep and cry. And every year, uh, Elkanah, his two wives, and all the kids would go up to the temple for the yearly feast, and they would uh, make sacrifices before God. And when they were there, this is from chapter 1, Hannah uh, would receive a double portion of, of food um, while everyone else got a single portion because Elkanah, his, the, the, the husband, was trying to say, I love you more. Even if you don't have a child, I still love you more. Well, this wasn't enough for Hannah. In fact, she was still so upset over it. Let's follow along the story, okay? This is verse 9, chapter 1. I'm going to read quickly. You kids follow along. Chapter 1, 1 Samuel, verse 9. Once they had finished eating and drinking, Hannah stood up. And uh, she went to the Lord's temple. Verse 10. In bitterness of soul, she was really upset. Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a promise, a vow. And she said, O Lord, Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget me, but give her a son, give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. She says, kiddos, uh, uh, Hannah could not have any kids, so she went and asked God. She said, God, if you give me a son, 
I will give him back to you for all the days of his life. Now, I want you guys to think for a moment. Do you think your parents, moms and dads, could have made a promise like that about you? That they would give you to back to God? No, you think your parents want to keep you for themselves? You think so? Well, Hannah didn't have any kids, so she said, God, I promise you, if you give me one, just one son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. That's going to be important in just a moment. And while she was praying there, the priest said, hey, what are you doing? You sound like you've been drinking. And she says, no, 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 I haven't been drinking. I'm just really upset, and, and, and it's because I don't, have a, I don't have any kids. And the priest said to her, fine, then just go. May God give you whatever you, you, you ask for him. And she says in, uh, <clears throat> in verse 18, chapter 1, she says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So here's the, here's the scenario, okay? She goes before God. She is being bullied emotionally, like, like girls know how to do. We talked about this last week, and I saw it play out during the week. Girl-on-girl crime is like, it's like a guerrilla warfare. I mean, it's like undercover. You don't even know what's happening. You just see things blow up. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, what happened there? Oh, you, the, the missile set from over there. A text, uh, a look, a glance, you know, a, a, a subtle put down. And, 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 and so these, uh, Hannah was being bullied and she was distraught. So she comes before God and says, get me out of the situation, God. Just give me a son. But then she adds to that just to put some weight behind it. And if you give him back, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And then she added these words, all the days of his life. Okay, that's the promise. Give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. And then the, the priest said, fine, God's going to give you what, you what you what you asked for. And she says, okay. And the Bible tells us that she went, verse um, 19, early the next morning, they arose, worshiped before the Lord, and went back home. And what's important about that is although she had year after year cried out for this, this particular occasion when she came before God and she heard the priest say, God will grant you what you wish, she accepted that as truth. Because the Bible tells us that she was no longer depressed. And she worshiped God. I'm going to give you a quick hint here, okay? This is a biblical truth. Whenever you ask God for something, worship is the way you affirm that you trust he's going to bless you with it. See, most of us think that we worship God after he blesses us. See? So you've had a great week. You've been, okay, now I'm going to go to church, show up. I might even sing a song or two. But true worship is praising God for who he is before he has actually given you any stuff. Because worship is a recognition of who he is, not just what he does. It's kind of like love. Think about it. Do you love your wife only when she makes a good meal? Some of you guys are like, yeah. Well, that's not love, see? That's just your stomach. Being grateful, right? True love is actually when you love someone just because, not as a result of what they do for you. That's, that's reactionary, you know? True love is when you say, you know, I love you no matter what. I don't know what you say when you guys are, I don't want to guess. But true love is loving someone unconditionally. And worship is like that. Worship is saying to God, we love you just because you are God, not because you gave me blessings or you gave me these things so so she asks god yes but then when the when the priest says god will grant you wishes the bible says she begins to worship 
she says thank you, God, and being us to sing praises before anything has happened. That's key number one. And the Bible says, then they went home, verse uh, 19, they went home the next morning. <clears throat> verse 20, in the course of time, Hannah conceived, that means she got pregnant, and gave birth to a son, and she named him? Everybody say Samuel. Samuel. There you go, Samuel. She named him Samuel, you recognize that name, because I asked the Lord for him. She gave him a name that would remind her of the promise she made. This was also important. As uh, the kids were just learning about commitment, one of the ways you honor a commitment sometimes is by having reminders in your life to help you remind you what you committed, right? So, for example, wedding anniversaries, they're the yearly reminders of the vows that you made. It's no wonder, though, how some husbands and wives tend to forget the anniversaries. So, we have come up with this uh, wonderful little tool. It's your iPhone. You put it in there. And uh, you put your anniversary day, and it has a little alert, and you put two weeks ahead. So, uh, two weeks. But some of you guys need, like, repeat it. Next week, tomorrow, <laughs> it's today. Oh, man. Um, see, the, the anniversary rolls around every year to help you remember the vows that you made, the promises that you made, and to help you honor them. And, 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 and so it was that she gave her son the name Samuel, she says, because I asked the Lord for him. She remembered the promise that she had made. Let's follow along. <clears throat> In the following years, verse 21, when Elkanah went up with his family, like they always did, to sacrifice the Lord, fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go, verse 22. She said to the husband, I can't go right now. I have to wait till the boy is weaned, and then I'll take him and present him for the Lord, and he will live there always. Now, kids, you guys like living at home? Yeah. No? Oh, sorry. Some of you guys know. Uh, you can come over to my house. Um, uh, do you guys like having your own room? Okay, some of you guys don't have your own room. I understand that. Um, but if you do have your own room in your own house, it's nice. You come home, your stuff is there, your parents are there, they give you food and all this stuff. Would you like to live in someone else's home? Would you like your parents to drop you off in someone else's house and say, now you go live with them? No? Parents, would you like to do that? Some days? Sometimes, you know, when kids are a certain age, they, they say those things, right? They go, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go live with so-and-so. And then you go, I wish. No, never. You stay with me forever. Uh, only some days. Only some days. Uh, it's obviously not the thing to do, right? You like coming home to your own family, your own parents. But Hannah had made a promise. Listen, kiddos. Hannah had made a promise that if she had a son, just like you, she would bring him to the church, and he would live at church forever. Well, as long as he lived. How many of you guys would like to live at church? All right. I got some future Levites in the back row. Church is fun, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, for most people, it's not the thing to do to come hang out at church, to live at church. But she said, if you give me a son, God, I will bring him back to church, and I will give him to you, and he will live there. And she says right now, he's not old enough yet. Because he has to be weaned. How uh, doctors or family pediatricians, whoever you are out there, um, how is a child when they're usually weaned? That means they're no longer nursing. Three? Three? <laughs> yeah, that's sometimes, yes. Uh, nowadays, there are some moms that like to nurse a little longer than others. Uh, anybody else? Another guess? Four? Oh, 18? I hear some 18. Yeah. 
Uh, some, 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 some people usually stay under their parents' control for a long time. I mean, read their care. Uh, in, their, in their culture, it was probably about, about three before the mom actually, you know, made the child completely independent um, of, of, of her immediate care. So it's possible that little Samuel was three years old. Any three-year-olds here in the congregation today? I got one right here. And some of you have noticed that no razor has touched his head. Um, that's a biblical thing. We just read that, all right, just so you know, all right? And so when, when, when Samuel was about, you guys see little Asher? He's a, he just turned three last week. When Samuel was about three years old, when Samuel was about three years old, Hannah brought him back to church. Let's read what the story says. Oh, and by the way, before we get there, she says, I'm, I'm going to wait and take him later. And then uh, Elkanah, verse 23, says, do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. And men, there's another biblical advice to you guys that are married or engaged or whatever. This is a secret words here. Whenever there's a decision to be made, you just say, do whatever seems best to you, honey. That'll, that'll solve a lot of things. My wife is always right. Right? You know, that, you know that, 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 that comment? My wife is always right, even when I'm wrong. She's always... Anyway, uh, um, do whatever seems best to you. And she says, whatever you say, honey, whatever you say. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Stay here until you wean him. Uh, only, uh, you know, do whatever you think is right. And so she nursed him until he was old enough, about three years old, about Asher's age and size. And the Bible tells us she took her, she took him with her, as young as he was, went up to the temple, and when they had uh, made the sacrifices, she brought the boy to Eli, and she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying. I prayed for this child. The Lord has granted me what I asked him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be handed over to the Lord for his whole life. Now, uh, they won't understand this, but I'm going to talk to you parents for a moment. I want you to put yourself, moms or dads, in this woman's shoes for just a second. She prayed for this, made a promise, and then God did his part. How do you think she felt as she was bringing her three-year-old up to the church? Happy to do it? Ready to give him up? Ready to let him go? And by the way, just so you know, I think like three-year-old is the culmination of cute. Uh, you know, the kids get cute and then they hit like, that's at their peak when the three-year-old are just cute. You just want to squeeze them every day. Um, but at the, at the peak of cuteness, she had to bring little Samuel up to the church. Put yourself in her shoes. Would you, A, be ready? Would you, B, choose to find some way to get around the promise that you made? Would you, C, just completely forget and reject? See? I think all of us make promises to God at one point or another. Sometimes it's to get us out of a situation. Sometimes it's to get us over the hump. Sometimes it's because we're looking and needing. We feel like we're under duress and we want God to help us. And we make these, I call them bargains, but God, if you get me out of this, I will do this. If you this, I this. If you this, I this. But when God does his part, how do we respond? We normally respond the same way we respond to these poor kids. Did I say promise? I don't think I did. And you're like, yes, you did. You promised. And we say, no, God, I'm not. Next time, if you give me another one, that one I'll give to you. You've done, you played that game before, right? You play that. God, if you give me a job, I promise I'm going to tithe faithfully. But when I get a raise, not, not from this job, when I get the next job, when I get a raise. 
God, if, if, if you do this for me, I'm going to do that for you. But when God does his part, we're like, but Hannah brings her three-year-old up. Now, maybe those three years were enough to fill a lifetime. I doubt it, though. I doubt it. But she comes, and she brings him before the, the priest and says, you remember me? Now, it's been at least three, it's been at least four years that she, uh, that Eli hasn't seen her, at least four, probably more. And he may not even remember that she was the person he thought was drinking out in front of the church. Uh, but she says, do you remember me? And he's like, huh? And she says, I prayed to God for this baby, and, you, and God gave him to me. So now I've brought him back. For his whole life, he will be handed over to the Lord. This is what's important right here, kids. I'm going to talk to your parents for a second, okay? For his whole life, he will be handed over. Can you imagine if your whole life was already decided by someone else? What would you do if your whole life had already been determined by someone else's choosing? In Samuel's case, he's three years old, so he doesn't understand, right? He doesn't know that he's being dropped off at the church and he's never going home again. But how do you think he's going to feel when he's, I don't know, 14, 15? How do you think he's going to feel when he's your age? When he learns or remembers or he's finally told that his mom gave him up handed him over to the church. It's a strange thing, don't you think? Kind of odd. But of course, you know, you might be familiar that Samuel becomes the most well-known prophet of the Old Testament. You know, Samuel, is a, he's the last great prophet before the kings come. I mean, this is an important person. And this can never come to be unless this woman keeps her promise. But what's important about the promise that she makes is this statement. For his whole life, he is handed over to the Lord. Here's what I want you to understand, parents. That is a charge for all of us. Now, maybe we're not bringing these kids to stay here at the church, but we have to understand that none of them are our right to have. We do not own them. They are not ours to do with as we please. Every child born to us was given to us by God to begin with. In fact, every child belongs to him more than us. For yes, we participated in conception, but it is God who knit them together. It is God who ordained their every nook and cranny. And it is God who has plans and purposes for their lives. And so we have to understand that they are our responsibility but our responsibility is to hand them over to God. This is important. Listen, I'm in the boat with you. I've got three little ones. My youngest one is three years old. And I know that life out there is throwing all kinds of things at them. And it's trying to steal them from us. Right? The culture right around us has all kinds of influences. They're, gonna, they're trying to take them from us. But it is our responsibility to, A, teach them about God, but then hand them over. To place them in service of God. And that doesn't mean just showing up here at church and you know, making them go to Sabbath school. It means that in my life, I have to pattern myself in such a way that they follow in my footsteps of service. 
This is really important. The only way Samuel becomes the man of faith that he is is because his mom was a woman of faith who honored her promise to God. The only way these kids become people of God, the only way these kids follow the, the, the footsteps of faith is if they see you take them. But a lot of us as parents want to get rid of that responsibility. I look, I know, I'm a youth pastor. I have parents who come and bring their kids to me and say, I can't deal with them, you fix them. But it just doesn't work that way, Right? does not work that way. A lot of parents think sometimes, well, I'll just throw them in Avenue School, I'll drop them off at church, and then they'll get whatever they need there. But the, the, I'm telling you the truth here. It is so hard to counterbalance your influence as parents with them, even as a pastor and as a church. What the Bible teaches us and research teaches us is that when home and church are walking in the same direction, and at that school, a kid's spiritual quotient goes way up. But when these two things are in opposition, it's up for grabs. And usually, God loses. That's the truth. So why am I telling you all this? It's, it, it's, it may seem obvious to you, but parents, those of you who have little ones here or little ones out there, if you want your child to be a man of God, a woman of God, you have to partner with us, you have to commit yourself, you have to trust and worship God and lead by example. All the things that we do here at church, whether it's adventurers, youth group, all the things that we do are just little footsteps, little footsteps, but they're out there. But you need to walk in them. You need to walk in the ones laid out for you. Look, I'll be honest with you, you can't expect kids to faithfully attend their Sabbath school classes if you never go to yours. You can't expect kids to faithfully someday give of their tithes if you don't give yours. You can't expect kids to learn how to worship God and sing cheerfully if you never sing. It makes no, makes no sense. And you cannot expect me or Gerardo or Oscar to teach your kids something that you are unwilling to try to live at home. That's the truth. Hannah made a promise. She made a vow, and she walked that three-year-old, as horrifying as that sounds to me, but she walked that three-year-old, brought him to the temple, and said, this child belongs to God, and I'm going to keep my word, and I'm going to hand him over. I'm going to hand him over. I prayed for him. The Lord gave him to me, and I'm going to hand him over. For his whole life, for his whole life, God has a plan for the life of all these little ones. God has a plan for the life of all the kids, teenagers in our church. And it is our responsibility to walk in the footsteps of God to enable them to live out those plans. And when we do that, God will bless us the same way he blessed the entire world through the story of Samuel and continues to do so to this day. You don't know if there's a Samuel sitting here in front of us. You don't know. You don't know if the next great evangelist is sitting right here, the next great worship leader is singing with us today. I believe that there is that promise in our church. That's why we love kids. But it's up to us, parents, church leaders, teachers, to keep our word. We've got to, we have to keep our promise. And we've got to hand them over to God, trust him, and we've got to worship God and trust that he's going to do what he promises he's going to do.